Now, last week, uh, Chris, our lead pastor, he kicked off our annual Missions Month focus. And what we do once a year is to kind of focus in, zero in on what, are, what were the last words that Jesus left with his followers, with his church, and the task that he left us to do, not like on our own, but with him. And then, and so we take a, 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 an annual focus in on what that is. And what he described the challenge is, is to reach the unreached people's of the world, and we, and we said that there are about seven and a half billion. It's 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 starting to approach eight billion people in the world. Three point two billion of those are in people groups and in places in the world where the gospel, the good news of Christ, has not come in a way that they can understand it or have even heard it at all. So they have little to no access to the gospel. Now I don't know about you, but over three billion people with little or no access to the gospel, that just seems overwhelming. And it, and, it, and it is overwhelming. Like, what can we actually do about that? So what we're going to do in the next few weeks, we're going to break that down into some, some distinct and kind of tangible building blocks, what we're calling keys to finishing the mission. So it's, it's not that there's like three keys and only three keys to, to finish what Jesus has told us to do. And when we kind of use those keys and unlock that door to eternity, then it's all going to be done. And, and that's all we need to do. There, there's, there's more to it than that. But what we're saying is these are three things, three keys that, that are three of the most important things that we can do in order to get to that place where we finish the mission, where we, we bring the gospel to all the peoples of the earth, especially those where, where it's, it's not been. So that's, that's kind of what we're, we're um, moving into during this next month. Today, we're going to address one of those main keys, which is a major obstacle to doing what Chris described last week. There's a major problem that we have to address. So we're going to look at that problem, but first we need to, to lay a foundation to see why it's a problem, why it's such a big deal. So today's message will be a little bit different from what we normally do, uh, and where we normally just will take a passage of scripture and we'll kind of walk through it verse by verse, uh, word by word, uh, and, and, but, but today will be a little bit different. We're, we're going to first, we're going to lay a foundation, and then we're going to, based on that foundation, see what is this problem, what is this major obstacle to finishing the mission, and then we'll finish with how we can address that in, in some specific ways together uh, as a church and, and with God's help. So with, with, with that, would you join me in prayer, and let's pray before we, we dive in together. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you as the one who we could sing those thousand hallelujahs and, and, and more to. You are the God who, for many of us in this room, uh, we would say has, has saved us, just, just like we heard these testimonies uh, in the baptisms just, just now, that you have saved us, and by what your Son has done, you have given us new life, you've given us uh, hope for eternity. Uh, for, for others, we're not at that point, we're maybe in... in in process with understanding what that's all about. Uh, but, but all of us, Lord, we, we come to this morning with different concerns, different things on our minds, different things on our hearts. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us trust in you to, to um, continue to follow and pursue you with those things. And, is, and we ask for your help as we focus in uh, on what you have to say to us and what the realities are in the world today and, and how we can join you in this great work that you've called us to. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, normally we would start a, a message at this point in the service. We say, open your Bibles to, and we give you a certain place to go. But today, this foundation that we need to lay, where we're going to start, is with the Bible itself. We're not going to look in, immediately in the Bible. We're going to kind of look at the Bible, kind of from the outside, and, and, and start with a, a foundational question. That foundational question is, what is 
the Bible. What, what is it? Well, there's a lot of ways that we could approach that. We could begin to answer like what the Bible is. But here's a simple definition. This is taken from another journey through one course that we've done, biblical theology. And, and here's what we said in that course, that the Bible is one big book with lots of little books that tells one big story. Okay, that's a very simplified way to put it, but that's what the Bible is. It's one book that's, that's actually a collection of books. It's, it's made up of 66 individual books. There's one divine author and more than 40 human authors who, who wrote the books that are in the Bible. It was written over a course of 1,500 years on three continents and in three different languages, primarily Hebrew, Greek, and then a little bit of Aramaic. Well, it has hundreds of stories, but it tells one central story with one central character. It centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is. So it's not just another book. It's not just a collection of, of historical writings. The reason that we go to this book every single Sunday as a gathered church and then in our own lives all through the week is that these pages, they contain the authoritative truth from God and about God. They're, they're what we should believe and how we should live. There's a lot of great books in the world. We're, we're fans of, of, of books here, but, but this is the one. This is the one book that originated from God himself. Now, there's a lot of questions that people raise, good questions, like where the Bible came from, how, do we, how, how did we get it in its current form, how do we know if it's real, reliable, and, and we've dedicated entire sermons to walking through some of those questions in detail, and, and, and we consistently are pointing people to good resources to understand more of the background and how we can be confident the, about the authoritative nature of the Bible. So if you have, if you're here today, if you're joining us online, you have any of those questions, we would love to, to sit down with you, to point you, some, point you to some good resources, talk through the questions that you might have. That's beyond the scope of what we can do this morning for, for today. Today, we just want to acknowledge this is a huge foundational truth and an assumption that we have each and every week that, that, that we go to in this book. Now, here's a couple of places in the Bible that we see this foundational truth clarified from Scripture itself. We'll, we'll look at two just short passages. One, one is in 2 Timothy. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor in modern-day Turkey. And, he, and he, this is what he wrote, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. You might be familiar with this passage. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is one of the clearest places that we see in the Bible on this idea of inspiration. Maybe your version says that, that, that it was inspired by God or breathed out by God. That's, that's what we're saying is that the, the, the words of Scripture are literally breathed out by God, that, that he is where the Scriptures, the words in, in the Bible originate is with him. That's what we mean when we say this is God's word. That's what we're talking about. Another New Testament author, Peter, the one, the one who was one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, possibly his closest human friend when he was on the earth is in his inner, cir in his, uh, inner circle. He says this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of places where it says, thus says the Lord. So in other words, here is a direct quote from the one true God. And this person, a prophet, is, is telling you what God says. 
And then these two New Testament passages, among others, clarifies that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's given to us from him, and the human writers were guided by God's Holy Spirit to write down what they wrote and give that on down to us. So that's why every sermon we preach and everything we do at New Life is based on what God has revealed in this book. So that's, that's our big foundation for today, that if the Bible is the true, authoritative, literally breathed out by God word from him, divinely inspired, and we believe that it is, then, then two really simple but, but, but obvious uh, conclusions have to follow. Number one, that this is for each of us. It's for every one of us, and it's critical that we personally engage this. If this is God's word, it's critical that all of us, each of us, personally engage with it. It's, it's important for all of us. If, if you've been at New Life for the past several weeks, you know that we've taken an extended look at the Apostles' Creed, possibly the most well-known summary of Christian faith and belief all across the world through, through history since Christ was on the earth. The Creed summarizes what we believe, what's true about God, what Jesus did, what's going to happen in the future. And, and what Chris, our lead pastor, bent over backwards to say every week is that the Creed is only helpful because it's a solid summary of this book. Where do all those, those statements and, and ideas in the Creed come from? Well, they come from the Bible. And if they didn't, we would, we would have to reject them. So scripture is our authority. It's for, for all matters of faith and practice. It's God's word and it's critical for each of us. Now, maybe you're, you're joining us today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you used to call yourself a Christian and or maybe now you're not sure or you just don't know how to navigate your way through all this. Well, whatever your experience may or may not have been before, here's the issue. The issue is, has God spoken? Has he said anything to us? Has he revealed anything to us that is true and that is real? And if indeed he has revealed anything about himself, well, wouldn't all of us want to know what that is? If, if there is truth with a, with a capital T to be found in the world, wouldn't, want, we, wouldn't we want to pursue that to no end? Wouldn't we want to at least give it a shot and, and see if there are answers to the big questions that we all have? Well, imperfect as we are, we meaning those of us who are at New Life and, and, and followers of Jesus, we have found this to be trustworthy, reliable, and, and quite literally supernatural and life-changing. We believe in him through what we read in the words of Scripture. So if you're willing to explore that with us, we would love to do that. There are, are groups you can join, there are courses you can take, and, there, and there's people, many people in our church who would love to sit down and, and work through any question that you have, every question that you have as you're on that journey. Well, maybe you're here today and you have put your faith in Christ. You're a child of God, you're on that lifelong journey of following Jesus and, and knowing him more. Well, Jesus himself said, eternal life is knowing God. In John 17, 3, he says this. This, this is the words of Jesus. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He said we can do nothing apart from abiding in him, certainly nothing of lasting value or eternal significance. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the number one way that we can abide in Jesus and know God more 
is by immersing ourselves in his word. It's worth reading. It's worth studying and memorizing and meditating and sharing and, and abiding in him through it. So the Bible is critical for every single one of us. And, and look, that, that can be intimidating, especially if you don't know where to start. Uh, you may have been a follower of Jesus for many, many years, and, and, and you've never really dug into the Bible for yourself on your own or with a small group of people. There's, there's no shame in reaching out and asking for help. Again, there, there's groups, there's courses here, there's people who would love to sit with you. Let me share a, a little secret. And Amber didn't, didn't pay me to say this. Um, maybe she will later. But here's one of the best ways that if you're not really familiar with the Bible, if you're not in the Word, that one of the best ways to learn the Bible, to learn some of these key stories that you're unfamiliar with, is to serve in kids' ministry. Okay? Again, she didn't tell me to say this, but every single week they look at a, a key story, a key passage, and all you have to do is read that ahead of time, be familiar, and, and help lead kids into reading and understanding God's word, what you might have just the night before read and understood for the first time yourself. Okay? There are all kinds of ways to get into God's word, become familiar with it, because it is so critical for each one of us. So the, the Bible's important for all of us. What does this have to do with missions? We could talk about this anytime, right? This is any Sunday. We, we could talk about the importance of the Bible. Why take one of our missions month Sundays? Here's the reason. If the Bible is breathed out by God, his revelation, the authoritative source of truth, well, it's, it's for each of us. And secondly, the implication from that, this is for everyone in the entire world. If, if, it is, if, if that's really what God's word is, if that's what we believe it is, then every person from every nation who speaks any language needs to have access to it. Now, we said at the beginning that in order to reach the more than 3 billion people that Chris described last week, the unreached who, who still don't know the good news about Jesus, there is a major obstacle. There's a major problem. So I want to invite you to examine this problem and for us to think about it together and what we can do to address it. Now, to illustrate this problem, um, I want to ask Olivia to, to come up. So, Alan, can you go tap Olivia in case she's, she's asleep? Can you, can you come on up? Yes, you. Yeah, that's, Olivia does not know that she has been going to be asked to, to come up here, but she is ready in season and out of season, right? So, let's give Olivia a hand. All right, I'm, I asked Olivia to come up here because Number one, she loves being in front of large groups and getting to speak. So you're not going to have to say a word. So, but, but I do know something about Olivia. Olivia loves God's word. I know that about her. She's about to cry right now. So she loves God's word. So Olivia, what I want to ask you is, can you think of one verse, any verse in the whole New Testament, okay? One verse that is either, could be your favorite verse. It could be a verse that you think is important. People should know. It could be a random verse. Any, any one verse in the whole New Testament. Can you, think, you don't have to say it. Just tell me if you've, if you've got it. You have two seconds. Um, Jesus is the word. You don't have to quote it. Oh, um, but do you, you have to know the verse reference. Um, I think it's John 1.14. John 1.14 is her, is her reference. Okay, so what I'm going to ask you to do, Olivia, mm -hmm. is to find John 1.14 and read it to us. She said it's cool, but I can't. It's in a different language. Oh, it's in a different language? Yeah. So you can't read that? No. 
Oh, okay. So, so we we can't hear John one fourteen so from. You can't, but not from here. So, so you don't speak Mandarin Chinese. No. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So let's let's try this again. Let's try this other New Testament. Find John one fourteen for us and read that to us. Oh, we'll turn the maybe it's just a blank page. Turn the next page. Oh, it's empty. Oh, okay. So there's there's another problem. Okay. Here's the reality, okay? We're, we're having a little fun with this, but here, here's the reality. Three billion people in the world, just, just over three billion, that don't have the gospel available to them. Half of those, 1.5 billion people, live in language groups where this is their reality. Maybe there's a Bible, but they can't read it. They can't understand it. They don't know if it's this way, this way, which there's not a full Bible in their language. Another subset of that, 145 million people, so to get your your brain around that, that's almost half the population of the U.S. 145 million people live in language groups where this is their reality. They literally have nothing, not one verse of God's word is available to them in the language that they can understand. Now, Olivia, thanks for being a good sport. This is a gift from New Life for you. You can go ahead and open, open it. And it's blank. So, okay, let's give her a hand. Thank you, Olivia. Okay. Could have given her a gift card, but that, you know, that wouldn't really make, drive home the point, right? So, we're having a little fun with that. But, here, here's the serious reality. Here's the problem. 1.5 billion people. They don't have what you just heard quoted by by two young guys, John 3, 16. They don't have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. They don't have, for, for 145 million of those, they don't have even one verse. They don't have John 3, 16. They, they don't have a story of Jesus, a parable. Those blank pages represent, that's what they have of God's word. And, and because of what we've said the word of God is, the fact that so many people can't even access the truth that God has, has revealed, that is a major problem. It, and, and let's be clear, it's, it's not just that we need to print more Bibles and distribute more Bibles. We do need to do that, and there's many places where that, that's a need. We don't need to just make more audio recordings and, and find ways to, to get those to people. We need to do that as well. But in so many languages, there is not even a translation to put into print. There's not even a translation done that you can put on an audio device or, or on a website where you can download it. Look, Bible translation, it, it doesn't solve everything. It's not the whole mission. You still need people who are going to use that translation to share it, to spread it, to tell stories, to lead Bible studies, to pastor churches, on and on. But having an understandable translation is foundational to the whole enterprise of reaching these people. And it isn't just a big problem, it's a complex problem as well. Let's think about it like this. We might think about getting a Bible translation done and then dropping in a a bunch of Navy SEAL type missionaries, okay, in the middle of, let's just say in the middle of Africa. Let's take the country of Nigeria. We've got a map of Nigeria I want to show you. So there's where Nigeria is in in Africa. So let's, let's say that we had these Bibles and these missionaries and we just kind of 
just airlifted them in, and then they could take that and just spread it all over Nigeria and then on to other countries and then cover the face of the the face of Africa. So like like pouring syrup on pancakes, like it would just run all over and just start spreading and spreading and spreading, and the gospel could be spread to to everyone. Well, unfortunately. It doesn't work like that at all. I want to show you another map, another picture of Nigeria. This is just Nigeria. This is a linguistic map of Nigeria. That maps not all the languages, but just the major languages. So in this linguistic map, you see that there's many people actually who speak English in Nigeria. You may not have known that. But there are lots of other people who speak Hausa, Yoruba, Igbo, Fulfade, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, okay? Kanuri, Tiv. Even if there is a translation in a major language spoken in Nigeria, you cannot carry a stack of Bibles all the way across the country. You can only take those so far, and then you hit a wall. You hit a major barrier of understanding at a certain point. So do you know that the majority of nations in the world are like this? Not, not nearly uh, as many nations are like it is here, where English is pretty much spoken all over our country, that most nations are like this, this map here, which is why it's said by some people that the world is not a pancake, it's a what? It's a waffle. The world's a waffle. Most countries are waffles. So when you try to put that syrup in the middle and, and, and hope that that's just going to spread smoothly and, evilly and, and evenly, no, it, it's going to hit those barriers, and it's got to get over those barriers in order to spread over the face of a nation or a continent. So the world is a waffle. This was the case back in Jesus's day as well. This is not a new thing. Do you guys know the story? You remember the miracle of Pentecost? In, in Acts chapter 2, this is just after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, the disciples were in Jerusalem. Remember this? This is what Luke writes, Acts 2, verses 1 through 11. You'll see this up on the screens. When the day of Pentecost came, so this is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. It's, it's 10 days after he ascended to heaven. So 10 days later, after he ascends up in the air, the disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem. They're just kind of waiting to figure out what to, what to do next. The day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, the, the, meaning the disciples. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So there were Jews Jewish people, Jewish believers from all over, many nations, and they would come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they would come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, also known in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks, if you're, you're familiar with that. So there were Jews from many different nations that were in Jerusalem at this time. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? They're saying, we're from all over the place. And these bunch of uneducated fishermen are speaking our language. They're untrained. They don't know different languages. How is, how is this happening? 
This is a miracle. They're saying, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So what, what was the miracle? It wasn't just this rushing violent wind. It wasn't just the tongues of fire, but it was that these untrained men from Galilee were declaring the wonders of God in all these different languages from all these different people, from all these different places who had come to Jerusalem. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit, gave them supernatural ability, at least for a few minutes as far as we know, to speak in these different languages that were present. The, the, the people that were gathered there, it says they were Jews, but they didn't know, most of them, the significance of who Jesus is and what he had done. So what, now what follows verse 11, where we just left off? Well, first, it's really funny. You need, to, you need to read this if you haven't read it. They had to clarify, they're not drunk, okay? People were saying, these guys are drunk. Like, what's happening? It's like, no, 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 it's, it's only morning time. They're not drunk, you guys. And Peter has to get up and, and say that. And then he preaches this incredible sermon that connects the dots for these Jewish believers between the Old Testament and what all God, the foundation he laid, and the New Testament, what Jesus had just done days before that in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And, and he's connecting the dots. He preaches the gospel. And what happened? 3,000 people in one day were added to the number who had faith in Christ because they understood and it was started with hearing it in their own language. So the good news of Jesus was spreading to all languages across barriers. That was the first century. What about more modern day? Are you familiar with the name Cam or Cameron Townsend? You heard of that name? Cam Townsend, he, he was a young man who, who left the U.S. and went as a missionary to Guatemala in 1917. He was serving there with, with a Bible association that sold Spanish Bibles. So it makes sense, Guatemala, Spanish Bibles. He was serving a one-year commitment. He was almost done when one day one of the Cachiqual Indians, who he had been living among, came up to his table where he was selling these Spanish Bibles. And, and the catch-quote man asked him what it was, and Townsend explained to him, this is the, the words of God. This is the, the, the words from the creator of all mankind. And the man replied with a little bit of sarcasm. He said, if your God is so smart, why doesn't he speak my language? And Cam was stunned to find out that this man, though he lived in Guatemala, was one of the 200,000 catch-quote people who did not know any Spanish. So this left Cam with, with uh, such a burden, and he began learning there were so many more people and entire tribes without one verse or one story of Scripture in their language. And he dedicated the next 13 years of his life to the Cachiquel. His, his one-year short-term mission trip turned into a 13-year trip with the Cachiquel. And in an, an incredible 10 years, he translated the entire Bible into their language. By the way, that is, if you didn't know, that's super speed. Cam then came back to the U.S. and he founded an organization known as Wycliffe Bible Translators. It's named after the Reformation hero John Wycliffe who first translated the Bible into English. 
And you might have heard of Wycliffe Bible Translators. They are a global leader in this movement to get God's word to every people and in every language. Well, well, Townsend, he came face to face with the world as a waffle. That was the first time that light bulb went off for him. And, and, and not just from English to Spanish, but, but much more complex than that. And rather than being overwhelmed and just moving on and saying, I don't really know what to do with that, he saw that as unacceptable. That there were entire people groups who didn't have God's word in their language. That was 100 years ago. What about today? Let me tell you about a middle school girl named Kimberly. Kimberly started taking her faith really seriously as she entered into her teenage years. Uh, she was discipled in her local church student ministry. She got involved in, in leading and kids ministry. And, and she kept pursuing Jesus as she went off to college. And she was trained as a teacher, got her degree, and started teaching high school students. And she did that as a, high, a science teacher for a few years. Well, in the course of time, she was stirred for the unreached peoples of the world, like Chris was talking about last week. So she made a big transition, and she moved to the Middle East. She spent a couple of years learning Arabic, and now, today, she's on a team that is working to reach a minority people group speaking yet another language. So she's on a church planting team, but a critical part of her team's work is translating the Bible into this other language for the first time. So I asked her about this, that, that why her team is, is putting so much effort and emphasis into translating uh, the Bible. She, she, said, she said this. She said, it goes back to what the word is. If, if, and that's where we started this morning. If this is the way God reveals himself to us and his plan for our lives and how to know him, we have to provide a way for them to hear that in their language. If we don't, it's like saying, hey, here's the path to life. Here's how to know God. Oh, but here's a huge obstacle in the way, and sorry, you can't really get over that or get around it. She said it's an access issue. They don't even have the words of God to be able to respond to it. Now, here's the thing. This group knows a lot of Arabic. I asked her, why do they need another translation into this minority language? Why not teach them English? Why not just give them Arabic? Here's her response. She said, this group that we're working with, they are discriminated against in society, and they're told that they have no value. The name of the people group is, is translated is the same word in Arabic as unclean. So their entire lives, they've been called, oh yeah, those are the unclean people. That's their literal name, is unclean. So they've been called this and treated this way their whole lives by this dominant Arabic-speaking culture. But then we come along and say, hey, I have good news. There's a God who loves you, who values you, and he provided a way for you to know him and his plan for the whole world. Just one thing, you're going to have to hear about this in the language of your oppressors and in a language you only partially understand. I, I would add, best case scenario, it's like Cam Townsend. You have to hear this in a different language because the God who created you doesn't speak your language. So you have to learn another one. Kimberly goes on and she said, there's also this issue of heart language. She shared there was a time in college when she knew Spanish pretty well. She could even read and study the Bible in Spanish, but she said it was, it was just not the same as in her heart language English. It didn't make sense in the same way. It didn't have the same deep impact on her, and she couldn't pick up the nuances and the deepest meanings in Spanish. So it's critical, she says, 
to make God's word available for every language, for basic understanding, and to communicate on a deeper level. They have value. They matter enough for God to reveal himself to them in a way they can understand. So this work is critical. The, the lack of scripture is a problem, and it's a complex problem. But there is some really good news in the midst of all this. We want to share a video with you that introduces how we as a church and how the wider body of Christ are addressing some of this. So take a look at the screens. From the beginning of time until the end of time, none will escape instability, strife, fear, and insecurity. And in the midst of a dark and sinful world, we are in desperate need of the truth. The truth that we are loved, that we are redeemed, that we have a God that is true to his promises. The truth that surpasses time, place, and all understanding. Yet, the truth of scripture isn't available for everyone. There are over one billion people who do not have the full Bible in their heart language. Seed Company is working to change this. Through community efforts, local translators, and partnerships with other Bible translation groups around the globe, we are accelerating the spread of Bible translation at a pace set to make church history. But we can't share the truth of Scripture on our own. Join us as we strive to have God's Word available for everyone in our lifetime. This truth must be heard, and it's one we must share. So we believe that. We believe that this is a truth that we must share. Now, earlier this year, if you were at New Life, uh, you heard from Pastor Chris about a Bible translation project that we're partnering with the seed company to, to complete for two different but neighboring languages in South Asia. And, and that is one of the many things that our send offering has, has helped to fuel, and that is progressing really well. We were in a, in a sermon series when we introduced this in First Thessalonians, talking about gospel hope and at the same time we were going through that sermon series, they were translating 1 Thessalonians for the very first time into these two languages. And so the, the, the scope of their project right now, they're working on the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then all five of the, of the T-books, the Thessalonians, Timothy, and, and Titus. So I want to share a couple things from the translation team. A translator shares this from a man in, in the community. He says, My wife and I are from a small village. We are not well educated, and we don't know much about the outside world. We both work as farmers and support our family with the wages from this work. Previously, we did not know about Jesus Christ, but now I am hearing many times about Jesus' stories. Many people are believing in Jesus Christ after the gospel of the Lord came into our community. So they don't even have the Bible yet. They don't even have the, the, the New Testament yet, but as they translate, they're sharing what they're translating, and people are hearing God's word for the very first time. We want to give you a, a, just one, one verse, one example of what 
the Lasho language looks like that they're devising right now. So this is, this is just one verse from Luke chapter 11, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And they're learning who God is and who, Je- who Jesus is and how he brought us to, to God to be our Father. And they're hearing this good news of how they can come to know him through Jesus Christ. The translation team asked for prayer that their work could continue despite obstacles and that people could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord. So we can be encouraged. There's a lot to be done, but this is happening. It's happening today, and we get to be a part of it. One more example from within our church family. Some of you guys know Charles and Sue Reed. They're New Life team members, and they've given their lives to reaching the Yao people in Malawi, a country in Africa. Some of you might have met in this spring. They had three tribal chiefs who, who came and, and visited here, and, and these guys are instrumental in making a way for their different tribes and their different regions in this Muslim people group in Malawi to know God and receive his word in their language. Well, recently they had a gathering of chiefs and they had available for them three books that had been translated and printed. One book was the Gospel of Luke in the Yao language. Another one was the pastoral books, uh, so 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And then a book on Proverbs, 250 Bible verses in a book on topics like wisdom and foolishness, choosing friends wisely, greed, dishonesty, humility, generosity, th- different kinds of Proverbs on, that, on these ideas. So we have a snapshot of what happened when these books were made available. So take a look at the screens and you'll see this is from Malawi. So this this was a gathering primarily of chiefs uh, on among different tribes in different parts of, of that whole region. And when God's word was made available in their language, these chiefs were buying several copies each to take back and to spread around to their village leaders and to begin using in, in their, their villages. This is how this kind of thing takes place. I mean, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that amazing to see what happens when people have access to God's word? So, this, so this, this is how a major problem is being solved. It's one language at a time. So I, I want us to finish our last piece here today with, with the, the missions challenge that Pastor Chris laid out last week, but applying that specifically to Bible translation. Three things that each and every one of us can do in some way or another. So the first thing, first thing that we can do to address this problem personally, we can pray for the unreached. So specifically those without God's word and their language. Now, we can connect you with with Bible translation work. We can do that personally as a family, as a community group. Um, Partners in Holistic Development is is the name of of the Reeds organization. So they send out great updates. Uh, They're in our church. You can hear what's happening in real time. Uh, So we can connect you with them. Their uh, email address for Charles is up on the screens. Uh, The Seed Company, you can uh, peruse their website. And then uh, I'm, I'm happy to get you connected with what's happening with the LIGO and LASHO translation project that we're helping to sponsor so we can get you updates and prayer needs from that project in South Asia. So that's the first thing that we can all do. We can all pray for the unreached and we can connect personally to some aspect of this so that we can pray very specifically for this work. 
Secondly, we can give sacrificially. Every one of us can give to support this work and make a difference. If you break down the cost of what it costs when, with everything involved and all the people and all the work, it comes, down, it comes out to approximately $35 is what it takes to translate one verse into a new language that doesn't have God's word when you, when you break it all down. $35 to get John 3.16 into a language. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would be how much? $70. So it's a trick question. So it was <laughs> two verses. Yeah, so just the ones that you heard earlier, that, that's, what it, that's what it takes. Um, you can give through the send offering at, at New Life. We're doing that on November 15th. That'll be the, the, the first main day, uh, but we'll, we'll be giving that offering towards the end of the year. Uh, and, and that's in, in part what that will help to go to is, is that particular project. We'd be happy to connect you with, with Charles and Sue to support the Yao translation work. What if you and your extended family got together at Christmas and said, hey, what, one thing we're gonna do is a family gift this year is to translate an entire chapter of the Bible into a new language that needs God's word. What about an entire book, a smaller book or a bigger book? There are so many projects like that that, that, that Seed Company and other great organizations, there are many good organizations doing this kind of work that, that you can connect in a personal way through sacrificial giving. So we can all pray, we can all give, and third, we can explore opportunities to go. There are a bunch of organizations. Here are two. So Wycliffe Bible Translators, the ones that we men mentioned earlier, Pioneer Bible Translators, they do a great job of, of, of weaving together church planting and translation of scripture together. Uh, JARS is a really fascinating ministry. It's, it's an acronym, and I forget exactly what it, what it originally stood for. They are two hours down the road, uh, just, just south of, of Charlotte. Well, Bible translation involves so much. It's technology and teachers, pilots and mechanics to get into to, uh, hard-to-reach areas. It's not just linguists and language experts. Here's the way that JARS says it. They say, from pilot training and mission aviation services to remote technology and communication support, we provide off-the-grid logistical solutions that help make Bible translation possible. That is so, so critical. Students, if you guys are going to dedicate your life to something, consider this. You could be part of a team that translates God's word for the very first time into a new language. That's the kind of thing worth giving your whole life to. And there is world-class training available, Wycliffe and other organizations, to, to help us learn languages, learn how to learn languages, create alphabets, design fonts for new languages that don't even have written language yet so that this, this work is possible. Maybe you have administrative gifts. Maybe you're, you're more into IT or, or you could work on airplanes or, or learn how to do that. Again, JARS is two hours away. This is what they do all around the world to support translation teams. And of course, if we don't go ourselves, there are so many ways to send and support those who are on the front lines. Does all of this seem crazy? I, I would say we, we are out of our minds if we don't believe the Bible is where we started, what, that it's the word of God. But if it is the word of God, we would be crazy not to do anything and everything we possibly can as a church, as a people, as followers of Christ to get his word to everyone who doesn't have it. Maybe your first step this morning is to talk, is what we talked about at the beginning. Maybe your first step is you just need some help getting into God's word for yourself. And again, I want to emphasize, we'd love to help you with, with in, in any way with that, any questions that you have. But we all need to see that, that 
the, the key role of Bible translation in finishing the mission and reaching the unreached. And the question is not, will God's word get into every language? The question is, will we play a part in that in some way or another? Now consider this. We have these incredible English translations. We have excellent translations of the Bible. Why? As a result of someone translating it for us. What, what if there were not people like John Wycliffe who decided it was worth translating the Bible from Latin? What if William Tyndale hadn't literally died to bring the Word of God to us with tremendous accuracy and in, also in common English so that we can actually understand it? We are the result. Our church is the result of the translations that have happened over the years. And so we're not talking about some, doing something new. We are talking about just stepping up and taking our turn. It's our turn to do something. Let's be among those who, who do what it takes to help, to play our part, to get God's word into every language. Again, Bible translation is not the only key to finishing the mission, but it's a big one. And here's the cool news. This is within reach to finish this aspect, this key of the mission in our lifetime. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel of this task, and there is going to be a great party there's going to be a great celebration in God's global family when this milestone is reached, and we want to be part of that. And then beyond our lifetime, there's an even greater celebration that we'll be part of with every English speaker, every speaker of every other language on earth. And that's the celebration that the Apostle John describes in the vision that God showed him. This is where we ended last week. This is where we'll end today. Let me read this picture from Revelation 7, and then we'll see one more picture from, from our modern day of what happens when God's word gets into a new language and the worship team will come and will lead us in a, in a closing song of worship. This is what John says, the vision God gave him in Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's a final picture that gives us just a little foretaste of that passage in Revelation and then we'll close our time together. 